My name is Velma Vouloir, and you are listening to Controversy. Hello everyone, wherever you are right now, on your morning walk, maybe cooking dinner, maybe at the gym, maybe staring at a wall, in the car, I don't know, wherever you are right now, welcome to Controversy and thank you for letting me be a part of your day. Guys, Controversy is really starting to take off, which I have no one but you listeners to thank for that. So thank you so much love to everyone that has been sharing the show with friends or on social media. Keep it up. I appreciate you more than you will ever know. If you haven't already, I know it's annoying to hear over and over, but please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. You can do it on your phone or on your computer. We just need to keep the foot on the gas and make controversy as visible as we possibly can. Also, please follow or subscribe and then you won't miss an episode. I have had so much amazing feedback from last week's episode about Josephine Baker. You all love her as much as I do. And for good reason. She's just the bee's knees. She's such an inspiration on about 500 million levels. So thank you again. It's It was just yeah awesome to hear everyone's reactions and responses to that episode. This week, is a very exciting episode for me for two main reasons. The first is because it's the first episode that isn't specifically about burlesque. And I know a lot of people have been messaging me saying things like, yes, this is the greatest burlesque podcast that we all need. And look, I completely agree. But this isn't just about burlesque here at Controversy. This is about all things erotic and smutty and lascivious and taboo, anything that discusses sexuality and eroticism throughout history and today. But hey, if you love burlesque, I know you will love this show. And hell yeah, I'll be talking a lot about burlesque because it's what I do. It's something I'm very passionate about, but I'm here to throw a whole lot more at you as well. So look out. I hope that The topics we're going to be covering in future episodes not only educate you, but inspire you. I hope they make you laugh. I hope they give you something to talk about with friends, create dialogues about current issues, and just make you feel good about your own desires and interests and erotic nature. You know, we're all grown-ups here. You're allowed to feel good about sex. No matter what your parents told you or what your pastor told you or what society has told you. And... Back to exciting, exciting reasons. The second reason this episode is super exciting for me is because it's our first ever episode with a special guest host and she is something spectacular. I tell you what, I have some amazing guests coming on this show in the future, you guys. People who are so knowledgeable and diverse and fascinating and you're going to love all the weird and wonderful things that they have to share with you. So I I'm ready to just get straight into it. Let me tell you a bit about our special guest on today's episode. I have for you the one and only Miss Celia Bow. Oh my lordy, you guys. She is one of those rare souls that just lives and breathes vintage erotica. You know, the way she looks, the way she speaks, the way she 
dances, the way she dresses. She looks like she just jumped straight out of a 1960s Playboy magazine. She's unbearably gorgeous. She's so, so knowledgeable about life and music and art and sex in the 1960s. She's a woman that wears many hats. She's a visual artist, a filmmaker, a go-go dancer, burlesque artist, costume designer, DJ, and just an all-round sex-positive ally and dream girl. Celia has a double degree in both film and visual arts, and she's currently working to become an archivist of underground film and pornography. So without further ado, let's say hello to our incredible guest for this week's episode. We have Celia Bow with us. <laughs> Hi, Celia. Hi. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited to hear about what you have to speak about. I know what you're going to speak about, and I'm very excited, but these guys maybe don't know. First up, let's get to know you a little bit better. I've introduced you a little bit at the start, but... What is your experience in the world of eroticism and smut? Like, what is it that kind of drew you to this realm? Just obsession. (laughs) It's something that has just been such a natural interest to me ever since I was young. Always interested in kind of like the taboo, the forbidden, why we kind of have this obsession with conservative nature. We're not interested in sex and sex is something that doesn't happen when it's like... It's everywhere. everywhere. It's everywhere. (laughs) It's like, it always just fascinated me that... So many of the things that we think are kind of controversial and new today have been happening for centuries and started so long ago. So it's just something that I'm always curious to explore. Yeah, me too. And that idea as well, that exactly what you just said, this eroticism and kind of censorship has been happening forever. And it's kind of because we're in this new modern age where we have the ability to share information so rapidly that it's everything's just kind of coming out of the woodwork a little bit. But a few hundred years ago, if you looked hard enough... It was all still there. Yeah. <laughs> it was all still there. Unreal. And tell us a bit about, you know, your life day to day. I've mentioned you're a burlesque performer. You're a go-go dancer. You're a DJ. You're a model. You do so much incredible work within the community. What is kind of your favorite aspect? Oh, hmm. I think when it comes down to it, uh, my biggest pleasure is just kind of being my own dream girl and living out my little fantasies and so all those dancing performing and music and everything just comes together and just having a ball being who I want to be and my yeah my own little dream girl that's always been my biggest thing that I've just aspired to be and you know you see these people and you're like oh I love that I want to be this and you're like just be it yeah what's the um the Rocky Horror song (laughs) don't dream it believe it yes don't dream it, believe it. <laughs> cool. So tell us, let's let the cat out of the bag. Uh, what are you talking about today? <laughs> I'm going to be talking about porn. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Specifically? The golden era. The golden yes. era of pornography. It's something that in uh, episode one, when I spoke about the brief history of burlesque, I sort of wrapped up the episode a little bit by sort of saying how almost the decline in classic burlesque or the golden era of burlesque was taken over by the golden era of pornography because suddenly these burlesque dancers just weren't quite as provocative as what we started seeing on the big screen and that's what Celia is here to tell us all about and I will just quickly throw in that 
This is such a huge topic and today we're keeping it pretty generalized. We want to give you the basics as a framework so that in the future we can go a little deeper and get a little more specific. Porn is something that you can talk for years about. It's huge. It has so, so many voices that I believe really need to be heard. Porn has so many wonderful aspects and it also has some problematic aspects in regards to production, monetization, distribution, consumption, criminalization, morality, education, not just throughout history, but today as well. And we will be talking further about this in future episodes with people who are directly involved, which is so important. So yes, that's my disclaimer for those that want nitty gritty. It's coming. Don't you worry. So I get to relax. I get to take a bit of a backseat now and I'm going to hand you over to Celia and she's going to tell you all about it. Thank you. (laughs) So before I delve into this amazing history of the golden age of porn, I just want to give a little bit of a background to the very beginnings of pornography on film. So there's this sort of classic saying that when the camera was invented, pornography was invented like five seconds after. (laughs) (laughs) It's this just idea that as humans, we're so naturally programmed to be interested in sex. Now, when something like the camera is invented, this technology that captures real images and movement and people in real time, we're struck with these ideas like, wow, wouldn't it be amazing to see a nude woman whenever I want? Yeah. And it's like such a simple idea, but we're just fascinated with it. And instantly it's like, oh, I've got a camera, you know, I can film a moving train, I can film the city, but I can also film a naked woman, I can film sex. So it's very interesting. And that's why pornography is something that doesn't truly start in the golden era. It starts right at the beginning of film. And even I was just thinking, you know, obviously before photography or moving picture, you've got fine art, you've got, you've got, you know, erotic illustration, you've got erotic literature. It's kind of whatever medium we can find we're gonna make it sexy yeah Mm. and it's that thing where before film it's like well the only way you can kind of ever see sex or any of this this is an art you know there was photography before that was painting and so it's a very kind of educational thing as well sex is something where you're not given a manual so when you see these things especially with porn you're learning from it like oh this is beautiful this is how that works and like yeah and this is how I do it as well you know we're still (laughs) in a time where again we're not educated we're not instructed and I think there are positives and there are negatives obviously with sort of the way in which a lot of pornography has kind of developed into where we are today in 2021 there can be negative aspects to how uh, porn educates people but yeah if we're thinking kind of way back in the day you weren't perhaps having sex before marriage perhaps the way your parents were speaking to you about your sexual education was very limited or conservative I have no doubt there was no inclusion of, you know, female pleasure or or awareness (laughs) or understanding. Yeah, I love that straight off the bat, you have this new medium to kind of even just be like, oh shit, that's what it is. Yeah, and it's that thing where most of us would have seen sex on film before we ever experienced sex ourselves. Like it's always where you start. And that's why the history of porn is film is just so interesting and important because it's this time when porn and sex kind of came out into the open, into the masses and made it 
more accessible and where we could really educate and engage with it. So for those of you who just have no idea when or what the golden era of porn is, it's a time from 1969 to about 1984 in which hardcore pornographic films gained mainstream attention in the US. So prior to this, hardcore pornography had been a very secretive affair. There were very small underground operations in which they created short explicit films and they were called stag films. So these were just short little loops about kind of like max 12 minutes and they'd be screened in like brothels and peep shows at stag party for men and they were very secretive affair. In the US, as with kind of most countries, the creation, distribution or consumption of obscene films constituted criminal actions. So you can see why it was very secretive because this was illegal and you'd be arrested and sent to jail, fined, all this saga. So although porn has been around since the invention of the camera, it only existed illegally underground. By the time the golden era, you know, we've gone through this conservative 1950s and the 60s brought on this sexual revolution. You know, we've got the second wave of feminism, the pill really changed attitudes towards sex. And by the end of the era, we've got these two moments that really helped bring forward the golden era of pornography. So in 1969, Denmark legalized pornography. So for the first time, not only was pornographic literature legal, but also pornographic photography, video, and literature. So now we've got legal production and distribution of porn happening for the very first time anywhere in the world. Obviously this had a huge effect globally on the attitude towards censorship. It was also in that year that the king of pop-up himself, Mr. Andy Warhol, his Blue Movie was released to a very wide distribution. And this film was also simply known as Fuck, so you can kind of guess what the topic might have been, and it featured <laughs> unsimulated sex between its two stars. Now the film didn't really last long on the screen before it was confiscated and fine. But it made enough of an impact for those flirting with the idea of moving from stag loops or exploitation movies to kind of verge into creating feature-length hardcore porn and to finally make those last steps. Now these two events definitely influenced this movement. There was a more significant element in the birth of golden era photography and this key element was New York City. New York was the mecca for sex and porn in the 1970s and it's perfect for so many reasons. So at that time, Times Square was not like we know it today. There was no giant sephoras or big red steps and there was certainly no sea of tourists. No, Times Square was seedy, it was dangerous, it was sleazy. It was for the dark and desperate. Hustlers, prostitutes, drug dealers, junkies. Crime was rife. This was an era full of dilapidating theatres, screening exploitation films 24-7. There were adult bookstores where you could go and see live sex shows in the back or peep booths upstairs. And this is, we're kind of in... 60s right yeah like late 60s to 70s peak where like you know they've kind of had this dilapidation of all the beautiful prime of the theater and the theaters and big yep. shows and it's just the police they're really just no nah, we're turning they a blind eye yeah care. and i mean there was a lot of corruption as well um, with the police and the new york city at that time yeah. was basically run by the mafia yeah. as well for those that are listening this again follows on from episode one so when i was talking in episode one brief history of burlesque about how we had these original beautiful grand kind of vaudevillian burlesque review theatres that then became these kind of hustly down and out fun theatres and then obviously World War II happened a lot of them closed and when they reopened a lot of them just never quite recovered so you've probably got this period of maybe 15 years or so where these theatres are just struggling they're still going but they're slowly collecting dust slowly getting sort of older and dodgy 
nostalgia to the point where then suddenly they're basically empty and then now we're here in the 60s and this is where the porno theaters start to move in it's cheap you know it's accessible (laughs) (laughs) and just oh the right of everything happening in a theater you know very few people are going there to watch the movie you know you've got people turning tricks people selling drugs people getting mugged it's just unchecked yeah (laughs) An unchecked Times Square, like a big, yeah. dirty, dangerous, yeah. grown-up playground. Yeah, there's yeah. a really good book called Sleazoid Express. Oh, I love reading about it. Every chapter is based on a different theatre and the guy just talks about it and it's just... Oh. The shit that was yeah. going down. Yeah, Amazing. and they really call it like the raincoat crowd for a reason. Cause, yes! Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. (laughs) Perfect. And so as well as those theaters in New York, there's also two other key elements that really set the scene for porn to be born. New York, as we're talking about, you know, it's this place for theater and Broadway. So it attracts so many actors. Every year, everyone's, you know, finishing their school and running to go be a star on Broadway. You know, acting is such a hard scene to break into. And so when you're broke, you have these dreams of stardom, you're going to kind of settle for any sort of film or stage work you can get. By Broadway, hello porn stars. Yes. (laughs) So many of the amazing early performers that's how they came into it and that's why I something like I'm always passionate about you know exploring and looking into more but disrupting these stereotypes as porn stars being troubled people they were just forced into it from a list and it's like a lot of people have amazing acting experience and actually saw it as something where they are a star and a performer and not just um yeah it's a performance and it's an expression absolutely and so because you know we've got this whole actors and theaters we've also got nyu film school and so this is just this kind of breeding ground for all these young amazing filmmakers and people want to work in the film industry you know they graduate and they're just so keen to kind of do any work. There's not much work, but there's porn and, you know, there's a lot of people who would kind of hit up sleazy producers at these theatres and they'll be like right I'll give you 20 grand you go make this film pop in some titties things like that and they kind of get their foot in the door there's also quite a few successful now mainstream you know cinematographers and directors and people who started out in porn it's always a very surprising list sometimes when you hear so as you can see New York was just kind of this perfect place you've got the theatres but people were going to go see the films you've got the actors people were going to star in it and then you've got all the directors and all the people who are going to be in the film industry to create these things and people are probably excited too it's this new thing you know it's not something that your parents were doing this is our time this is what we do now and it's part of our generation's kind of creative opportunity creative expression and then you've got everyone just kind of coming together with this willingness to have a go And there's like a lot of creativity there as well. There are a lot of people who kind of found themselves in this world, in this situation that they might have not. It's not like today where so many girls are just like, I'm going to want to do porn. I've seen this person going to be that. Like most people kind of fell into these roles. They've come from different backgrounds. You know, they wanted to be an actor. They wanted to be a director. So they take all this creativity and what they want to produce. But, you know, they put in the erotica. They put in the sex. You can see it. when When you watch adult film from that time, you can see there's still such a... So, and I'm not saying it doesn't exist today at all, but I'm saying back then, because you're coming from this standard of classic cinema into pornography, things like a lot of the lighting and the sets and the the music, it's just, it's exactly, it's at the level of what you would see in a commercial film. Yeah. Whereas today that doesn't always no. happen. Now it's just like, you know, a short little shoot where it'll just be like a gangbang or yeah. something. And it's like <laughs> shot in like five minutes long. Like, you're like, where's the where's wallpaper? The yeah. Where's the matching <laughs> (laughs) furniture yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) 
So by the beginning of the 1970s, things were starting to take action and very quickly they started to make big waves across the nation. So by 1973, we've already got hit movies like Deep Throat, Devil and Miss Jones, Behind the Green Door and Boys in the Sand. Pretty much just listed the most iconic and infamous pornos of all time and they all came out just within three years. Yeah, I didn't realise that. Yeah, it's just everyone. It was pretty cool. Just pumping them out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So the reason these films made such an impact and why they reached the mainstream attention was not because these films were made like actual full-length feature films, but how they were reacted to like movies. You know, we've got to remember that this is this new phenomenon. Oh my God, I can't say that right. Phenomenon. 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 Let's phenomenon. just change that word. <laughs> phenomenon. What's that from? Yeah. The Muppets. Yeah. Phenomenon. <laughs> Okay, you've got to remember that this was such a new phenomenon. Oh, fuck me. I'm not using that word. I was doing so well. I love it. They just say phenomena. Such a new phenomena. Just like insert the word off like a robotic read through thing. Phenomena. You've got to remember that this was such a new thing for people. It was not like you were going to go and see E.T. or whatever at the same cinema, but it's what you're used to seeing. And people are going who've never been to porn films before, would have been scared to even go to that part of New York City. And they're getting across the nation. They're having this distribution. People are going. It's really exciting. We've got these films are getting reviewed by top magazines and top critics. You've got Johnny Carson and Bob Hope cracking jokes about Deep Throat on their talk shows. Yeah. And you've got celebrities going to see them you know there's all these amazing photos and you'll be like oh there's John Lennon going to see this one and that and all these yeah, amazing we people just, we don't we don't get I think um I mean I say this as a person in my 30s but we grew up with you know porn was was bad porn yeah. was no no porn was the start of the internet you know it was like it's the bad place of the <laughs> internet or you know you'd go to a, a news agency and that everything would be wrapped up and censored yeah. like, to us porn equals censorship yeah. it's something that we're kind of guilted into for seeing or being exposed to but in this day and age it was the complete opposite Everyone was doing it. Everyone was watching it. Everyone was seeing it. And yes, there's still an element of taboo to it, I guess. It was out. It was 100% out in the open. Absolutely. I mean, many of these films had like big film premieres. Yeah, That seems bizarre today. I couldn't even imagine that. But yeah, it's kind of how these films were going at the time. And it was, you know, it's just so exciting and new and taboo. And it was a place where all of a sudden, you know, these theatres are not just the the rough and tough of New York City. But it's people of all ages, all genders. And it's this thing that underneath all the acting and the fantasy and, you know, the kind of like taboo nature of these films, they're quite educational in a way. You know, like I'm sure there are people who would have gone and been like, went with their husband and saw on Deep Throat and be like, oh, I never knew about that. Like, (laughs) this might save my marriage or like, this is what I could do. Like, I don't know, but What are you doing later? The amount of things you see and you're like, wow, never, never thought about that. Never knew that. Yes, absolutely. Talked about how amazing porn is. The golden era, unfortunately, did not last forever. And so it was, you know, (laughs) it had its little moment for a while. But like all good things, you know, they come to an end. And so the golden era sort of died out when the home video market came in. And so, you know, before you'd go to your theater, you know, it's like a taboo thing. But now it's back to being a private affair and you can get your VHS 
back in home, go to the little dark section at the back of the video store, get your things. And, you know, it just wasn't the same. And you've got as well a shift in kind of the actors, you know, back then they look so different and all that. But then now you've got the box cover girls and it's all about having the most amazing VHS box cover with all these beautiful blonde, perfect, bit more plastic, this kind of look, you know, it's this change. Yeah, I feel like in a lot of the sort of kind of 70s porno, and I guess it has a little bit of a reputation for that, but, you know, you're looking at... Uh, just very average I mean not necessarily all average a lot of still like very attractive beautiful people but not by the sort of standards that we have today it was very have natural bodies natural bodies (laughs) natural body hair you know different bodies of different shapes um whereas yeah when you're moving into the sort of sort of 80s 90s it starts to become the figure the look for porn definitely yeah definitely and it's like sadly we all know r.i.p blockbuster but vhs died (laughs) you know in came dvds and now it's like hello only fans and here we are today well the internet yeah Yeah. hello internet (laughs) oh man i actually remember so my my dad worked in telecommunications in the 90s and as such I was very very lucky to be sort of one of the first children that I knew that got the internet and um, you know this is pre-Google there's no sort of search engines it's just like you just type in the website you weren't searching for something you were given a website and you went directly to the website I was a child of the 90s I was obsessed with the Spice Girls so I was (laughs) weren't we all I was with my dad and he was kind of like excited and showing me how the internet works and both sitting here mind blown He's like, what do you want to look at? And I'm like, I want to look at the Spice Girls. And my poor, innocent father, he's probably reeling at the fact that I'm telling this story because he, he will be he will be listening. <laughs> but he typed in like www.thespicegirls.com. And we're talking old school web browser, yeah. like slowly loading line by line. And it was a porn site. Like he typed in the Spice Girls or Spice Girls, whatever it was. And it was just line by line of just, you know, over 18 explicit content filling up my browser and I just remember my dad freaking out and being like look away look away from the screen and I was like what's happening I want to see ginger spice and he's like ah naughty spice and I like it yeah absolutely <laughs> it actually makes me remember when I was young and we used to go on MSN messenger and the one trend that sort of went round is you'd send to kids this website and you'd oh go to www.10.com something like that and something you know in Australia innocent. you're like oh channel 10, channel like 10. but it went to like a lactating <laughs> like, things like this is probably like room 10 or something I don't know why it was like a boys thing but oh wow wow it's the novelty yeah, yeah and again as a kid like, that's, <laughs> no idea it's kind of that's not really educational it's yeah. just kind of you know yeah. slightly odd yeah not it's not wrong yeah. it's just slightly odd yeah and so as a kid, though, you're kind of getting, you're getting fed these kind of random, yeah. it becomes about the shock factor. It becomes about the yeah. weird factor. Have you seen this? You yeah. know, check this out. Whereas in the 70s, it was so wholesome. It yeah. was the most wholesome <laughs> sex you could possibly get. I feel like if you want an education on average, normal yeah. sex, not doesn't have to be vanilla, but you know, yeah. regular-ish, just skip from yeah. kind of 1991 further. Just go back. Like, you <laughs> Start yourself in the 70s and work your way yeah. forwards, I would say. So if you've never seen any Golden Era films, it's something I'd really recommend. And it's not to say that, you know, they're brilliant or it's going to absolutely change your life. But I just think it's 
something that you need to see to really maybe just even disrupt your usual kind of porn viewership and what you think and kind of look bad and especially a lot of the porno chic ones are just amazing you know that there are some like my favorite director Radley Metzger you know he films so many of his in Europe and there's beautiful places and they're in fancy like restaurants they'll just have like sex on a table and they use all their stories are based around traditional literature and things and they're just beautiful and that's something I'd really recommend Should I talk about a favorite one? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Okay, so one of my favorite ones was one I just stumbled onto, but (laughs) I found some interview. I was reading about this one and it was like, oh, it's based on a Raymond Chandler novel. And I was like, get out. Based on Farewell, My Lovely. Like, love that novel. There's a porno based on. I got to check this out. It's so good. (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely loved it. The lead guy is the detective and he looks like some 70s Ken doll. He's like blonde. He's these amazing suits. The sharpest jawline ever. Yeah he's looking for like a missing brother or sister or something and oh my god all the girls in it are amazing they have Jennifer Wells who was like she used to be Bellesta to yes. die for and blonde and beautiful body and she was on like a Jimi Hendrix album cover so much fun so much fun to have killer lines I just yeah if you're looking for one to start I recommend that and what's that one called again sorry so it is called expose my lovely <laughs> Of course yes, it is. of course. Yeah, and there is a big kind of resurgence into more vintage pornography and erotica. There is a lot more categorization now. It's definitely a larger, more popular genre. It's a genre in itself yep. now that yes. you can go back to. You know, there are lots of platforms where you can go back and yep. watch these films. You can pay for them. You rent them. There are still <laughs> ways to, you know, to watch them ethically and tip to watch them. You know, a lot of the performers are still around and they're still getting proceeds from their work that they did way way back 50 years That's ago hard. which is crazy but yes there's lots lots of ways <laughs> lots of ways for you to watch the golden oldies yes. now the golden oldies <laughs> i love that <laughs> I was going to ask, what was the kind of response from, say, you know, like the government or, Mm. you know, obscenity laws, censorship laws, when that kind of erupted, Mm. what was the reaction? Did people try to kind of stop it? Yeah, definitely. There was a few. So there was one in the 70s with Deep Throat. And then, so it used to be illegal in some states to have pornography and things. And they'd like arrested like the star, like Harry Reams. Then there was also one in the 80s. So they had like the Mies commissions. But yeah, it's interesting. It's great that they've been able to fight it I hate now even just with like social media and things that it's still such a difficult place for sex workers and porn or anything and I think a lot of you know we're talking about the start of a huge billion dollar industry Mm. now and there was no regulation there was no sort of governing body in a positive way kind of overlooking everything to say hey this is how we do it these are sort of industry standards it was a lot of amateur young people who were excited who were being revolutionary who were like let's just do this let's have fun but and as such there are there have absolutely been instances um where things have gone wrong things have gotten out of hand it's just a shame that the governing bodies during this time rather than creating sort of regulation and laws that would just protect everybody everyone's interests still be profitable you know you don't really have unions for sex workers at the time Mm -hmm. at all on one hand you've sort of the people who could help 
help you, government officials, unions, etc., are just kind of criticizing you and being like, we don't want you. Yeah. This is wrong. Which we still yeah. <laughs> we still have we today. Still. You know, guys, there is an in-between. It's not just we'll pretend that this doesn't exist yeah. or we'll ban it. You know, you can actually create situations where you can help people make the most of this. Um, and when you were saying that was interesting about crossing state lines, I think another thing that I find really interesting about the golden era of pornography is that depending on a state's laws in relation to obscenity and censorship, it would determine kind of what could and could not be shown. You know, some states are, are sort of fine with certain sex acts or, you know, amount of people in a scene or things like that, whereas other states weren't. And so what you've got is a lot of films being re-edited and recut yep. based on where this film reel was next going. And that's something that we don't think about as much today because everything is just digital. But we've got to remember that these films were literally filmed on film. film. Yeah. <laughs> You've got a huge canister of film. That is your, that's the baby. Yeah. If you lose that, there's no more movie. The movie's gone. And to edit these films, again, it's not digitized. You are literally cutting and pasting bits of film together. So you might cut a scene out or shorten a scene or whatever when you take it to Boston for your, your big <laughs> premiere. And then maybe, I don't know, you, wherever you're going next, you're going to try and recut that scene in. But maybe sometimes it kind of doesn't get cut back in properly yeah. or long enough. So you sort of end up, a lot of these films that have then been digitized onto DVD or whatever, they're not entirely the original film. Yeah. You know, everything's, it's a little bit of a, what, 20, 20th version, <laughs> you know, that some hacky film yeah. editors put together. So I find that just really interesting as well. You know, and then you've got a lot of film producers maybe selling selling the rights to their film to larger production companies. And then what they would also do, and I'll see if I can find some detailed examples, but they would take scenes out of one film yeah. and splice it yes. into another film. All the time. All the time. I love that you're like here of actors, they'll be like, I wasn't in that movie. And it's I, like, yeah, you were. Yeah, you were. <laughs> I saw you. Like, and no. like, that's that shitty thing where even though then it would be like quite good sort of money, you know, but at the same time, it, oh, well, I only got paid, you know, 200, 500 for that scene, yes. but it's in five it's movies and it's been going yes. for like on theater distribution for the last six years. Yeah, getting super nothing. problematic. And that's, you know, again, that's what we're talking about yeah. with a lot of the negative side to this industry that was unchecked. You've got a lot of the time it's the small guys, the performers mm. specifically, that kind of end up with a rotten end to the deal when you've got these big producers that kind of just end up exploiting their work over time. Um, can we talk oh. about the Rialto report for a oh, second? Do you want to just... I, so Celia got me onto this podcast. It is life-changing mm-hmm. um, if you are a smut fan. But yeah, just tell us, tell everyone quickly a bit about So this. The Realtor Report is this amazing podcast that began back in, I think, 2014. Uh, it's run by Ashley West and April Hall. And oh my God, it is amazing. They are just the gospel for porn. I even, because I'm such a nerd, I was like looking up an interview with him and he was talking about, oh, I'm kind of like, I don't know if you know about Alan Lomax, who was like a blues guy who kind of went back into America and was just all about recording all the music and interviews and the stories back in the day and so that's what Ashley's like he just finds all the porn stars back in the heyday and he interviews them and it's just 
amazing. It's not just, oh, what was it like sleeping with that person? Blah, blah. No, tell me about your childhood here. How do you get in the industry? What was this like that? And it's just, it's everyone has fascinating. the most, it's fascinating. Just the experiences and the history and the amazing personality and just allowing the space for them to, you know, share, share. Yeah. It really is. It's just amazing. And they have the most fascinating episodes. They're always thrilling. They find people who, you know, have never heard about in the last like or 30, 40 publicly. years. Yeah, yeah exactly. they find really MIA people and not just the stars of the film but oh, producers directors yeah. set assistants yeah. you know it's really incredible it's fascinating I think as well anyone it's probably my attitude towards it, but yeah it's like if you're not like oh no porn I don't want to listen to that no if you're just interested in human life like in an experience art, in film yeah. in people sharing stories you know it's it's an absolute must yeah. if if you want to know more about this time yeah definitely it's, definitely it's the bible really <laughs> so I've got something silly to share but just thinking about the topic and how it influences my life, this random obsession. <laughs> I was driving my car and this had Spotify on shuffle. You know, they have those, oh, here's your playlist of the day. Put it on. Super bubblegum pop 90s girl princess song okay. came out. I was not sure, like, why? Weird. And this plane, I'm like, why do I know the lyrics to this? This is so weird. And then I, you know, her look and like, Mandy Moore. This is weird. So, because I, you know, so obsessed with porn and looking into things. One of the amazing directors from the 80s, 90s is like Gregory Dark. He's from the Dark Brothers and he did like new wave hookers. He was really like uh, avant-garde. He came from this amazing background in art and he came into the scene. Well, anyway, he actually really successfully transitioned into mainstream and he directed a lot of music videos and things. So I'd been on YouTube like watching his music videos and one of them was his Mandy Moore one. That's incredible. Yeah, you just don't know. It's fascinating to know people's journeys, people's histories with their art, you know, how they get into the industry. That's like my favorite thing is when my little interests in music and things combine, even like I was digging through some records yesterday and one pulled up. Oh my God, I forgot about this. When I was little, my mom was huge into musicals and she loved Bye Bye Birdie. We have, you know, the LP of it, the original recording. I used to flick through the photos and you have the birdie guy, you know, like the Elvis. And I thought he was gorgeous in this like gold lame suit. Anyway, the singer Jesse Pierce, and I think it is you know I like recently was like came to my mind I was looking him up oh that's cool like cute song I like and then I look he directed a porno in the 70s yes. like right like wild stuff you know, this is just like all my joys coming together <laughs> but it's true and it's it's always been that way I mean if you haven't kind of figured it out already I'm very pro-sex work very <laughs> pro-sexful stuff you know hello I'm the host of this podcast called Controversy <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where some sex workers are sex workers that's what they've always wanted to do that's what they do they love it it's what they continue to do but there are a lot of in my experience sex workers are creative they Mm -hmm. are multi-talented I think it's so rude to basically just categorize someone oh well they were a sex worker oh they have this dark dirty history doing this or fuck that you guys just be real with it you know if you think you don't know a sex worker you're wrong 100% 100% wrong you guys it sucks that we live in a society where a lot of people who either are or have been involved in sex work in any capacity becomes this little skeleton in the closet and oh now they're doing their real job and that now they're no fuck that it's such a 
shitty thing that we live in this world where people are kind of forced to to hide that part of themselves or bury that away or not acknowledge that that's where they came from. And even in mainstream, you know, you do have exactly what you're saying. Musicians, actors, directors, producers who have come from this world. It's not on their IMDb, (laughs) you know, and it should be. I just think it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, don't you be judging no porn stars out there guys because you probably know a couple yourself (laughs) and they're wonderful very special human beings like everyone cool thank you so much for sharing your little tidbits i love hearing about them (laughs) it's just so nice obsessions yeah it's so nice to talk to someone freely and openly who is just like fuck yeah I love vintage <laughs> pornography I love smut I'm like yeah me too it's just um, like so exciting sharing it all because yes. it's just like this weird you hold it interest. all in you've got <laughs> you never get to share magazines yeah. you know and movies on your hard drive and yeah. it's just so nice to be like oh my god you've seen that yeah <laughs> So, you know, if you're out there listening, I'll put some links up. We'll make yes. some recommendations. Celia's already made some awesome ones. We'll get a little yeah. a little film list happening <laughs> for you if you want a, a nice little foray into the uh, the beautiful world of golden era pornography. <laughs> Celia's Guide to Smut. <laughs> yes! Let's have Celia's Guide to Smut, please. I will sign up for that any day of the week. Well, thank you so, so much for being here. You're a joy. I love your knowledge I love your enthusiasm I'm sure everyone else can hear it too but yes thank you I can't wait to get you back we'll talk more soon we'll see you next time thank you I've had such a great time Yay. yay And there you have it, everyone. That's your introduction to the golden era of pornography. A massive thank you to Celia for coming to chat with me. I just adore her and all of the work that she does. Don't forget to check out our socials on Instagram and Facebook for some reference images. And don't forget, guys, we have a Patreon where I upload extra, more detailed, uncensored content for you all for every single episode. It's a great way that you can support the show directly and receive some great great little perks along the way. So check us out, uh, Patreon and Instagram and Facebook. It's Controversy, C-N-T-R-O-V-E-R-S-Y. That's all from me today. So as always, pay for your porn, don't fake your orgasms, and I will see you next Tuesday. Bye for now.